I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. Uh, this is going to be the end of part two as we go through Exodus, as this week, Ash Wednesday is coming, another plug uh, that we would love for you to participate in the start of the Lenten season by joining us on Ash Wednesday at 11 a.m., the WOW service, or at 7 o'clock uh, in the evening. Ash Wednesday is a time in which we recognize that part of the Lenten journey, part of how we're able to celebrate on Easter, is we make that journey with Christ yet again to the cross. We die with Christ so as to live with him. And on Ash Wednesday, in a profound and powerful way, we're marked on our foreheads with ashes in the sign of the cross to remember that apart from God, that is what awaits us. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But in Christ, that's why we make it in the sign of the cross. We do not live in fear. We live by faith. We live in hope. So this is coming. But we, before we get there, we have the end of part two of our Exodus story. And we come at, the, at a great point to stop for a bit as the Israelites have crossed to the other side. But as, you're, as you've opened up to Exodus 15, I want you to, so we can enter into what we're about to hear, ask you a couple of questions. Do you have a special song? Do you have a song that you remember? One that marks time? Maybe a song that's associated with a memory, an experience that shaped who you are today. Is there a song in your life that you could listen to over and over again? Maybe it's one that you put on when you need to be lifted up. One that you listen to when you need to be reoriented or reminded of better days. Is there a song that you know all the words to? You've internalized the melody and the lyrics and all you need is a few bars and boom, you can sing along without missing a beat. As you come to Exodus 15 this morning, we get to listen to one of these kinds of songs. It's an oldie, but a goodie. It's a standard from which other great songs of the faith have been inspired. Last week with the events of chapter 14, with one chapter we heard a powerful summary of the Exodus story. The showdown at the Red Sea epitomizes the entirety of the conflict over Israel between the Lord and Pharaoh. Rival gods, false gods enslave us. They seek to control us, even destroy us, by forcing us into a dead end, by putting our backs against the wall and leaving us nowhere to turn. But Yahweh, as we heard last week, is the one true God, the God who delivers, the God who breaks the chains of our imprisonment, who makes a way through the waters that threaten to overtake us. Last week, we heard that story unfold. But this morning, with our Bibles open, we listen as that story is put to music as the salvation of Israel, their deliverance by the Almighty God, is sung. Let us hear Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your mercy, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. 
The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This piece is called The Song of Moses. And in one sense, it's a fitting title because this song was first sung, if not written, by Moses himself. We are told that Moses hit the first note, inviting the children of Israel to raise their voices in praise and then began feeding them the words to be sung. This is called the Song of Moses, but then again, if you really think about it, it's actually a duet between a younger brother and his big sister, Moses leads off the singing, but as we heard there at the end, it is Miriam and all the women who repeat the song, who keep the music playing. Miriam, the girl who once kept her eye on her baby brother and raised her voice to herald his safety, is now the woman whose eye is still on her younger brother as she raises her voice to herald the God he serves with this melody, Miriam becomes our first song leader as she draws the whole congregation together, beckoning the sons and daughters of Abraham to join their voices and become a chorus of freedom. Jewish tradition holds that the Israelites gave voice to this song, this song of their hearts, and offered up the words of praise that are here for God all night long. United on the other side of God's judgment, Walking by faith towards the land of promise, the Israelites sing a song of victory. In fact, this song in its form and its structure, its verse, is actually a mirror of the ancient war and victory songs of the day. And we have some familiarity, even though we may not live back in those days, we have some familiarity with victory songs. At college basketball and football games, bands play and fans sing their fight and victory songs. We herald and boast our confidence based on the conquests of old as we anticipate, we hope, for triumph in the future. The music, the lyrics, 
especially if you still have that school pride, give us assurance. They make us believe that we can endure, that our team, even if it's behind, can come back, that our team, even if it finds itself in sudden death, will pull through victorious. We're familiar with victory songs, but what we have here is a different kind of victory song. Victory songs back then, and even still today, tend to exalt the earthly ruler or leader. But if you were paying attention, you'll notice that there's no mention of Moses whatsoever in this song. Songs of conquest often describe human achievement and prowess. But if you were paying attention, here the chorus, the focus, is on God's covenant love and faithfulness. Israel has had the victory, but Israel does not claim the victor. Rather, the victor, the song says, is Yahweh, the Lord God. I will sing to the Lord. Yahweh is his name. He is highly exalted. He has become my salvation and my deliverance. Israel is not singing, hey, look what we did. Israel is not singing, hey, look what we pulled off. Israel is not singing, look at the break we just caught. Israel is acknowledging that the Lord gave her the victory. Beloved, more than a song about a military victory, what we have here is a song that expresses Israel's recognition that God chose her, that God intervened, that God led the way and gave Israel the victory. Now, if we really listen closely, if we pay attention, and if we're familiar at all with God's word, we might notice that this song sounds strangely familiar. There are new lyrics here, We've heard this tune before. The melody that underscores these words is ancient. It's primordial. It goes back to the beginning. On the other side of these waters is a Hebrew raised with the stories of God. You, one might well recall and believe that you have in some way just gone through the story of creation all over again. You'll remember that in the beginning we're told that there was a primal chaos over which brooded the Spirit of God. That powerful Spirit separated water from swirling water and created places of dry ground where things could grow and live. Here, at the Red Sea, we notice echoes to that song, echoes to the song within God's ongoing work of creation. We have similar language, references to deep waters, references to God blowing with His breath. We have similar elements to the story of our beginning, divine intervention, God incarnating, entering into time and history. And we have the same spirit of God parting and piling up the swirling waters of the great sea, bringing light out of darkness, order out of chaos, creating dry ground across which Israel could walk and live. Beloved, this song of Moses and Miriam is more than the remembrance of a battle between Egypt and Israel. It is the celebration of something more epic, more cosmic, something up until that moment the world had never seen, which is why in the song we hear the nations will hear and tremble because the balance of the universe has shifted. As God created the universe, so now God births a people, a nation, Israel, in the keeping of a promise made long ago to Abraham, in the liberation of a people from Joseph, 
is the initiation of a new heavens and a new earth. Because this is only the beginning. This is only the beginning of God's work of creation. And it will continue. Our song looks ahead to a destination that's still to come. A place where God's people will be brought into and planted. A place where God will make his dwelling. Israel has many more miles to go on this journey of faith. A promised land awaits. A temple will be built. And a Messiah will come to inaugurate the greatest thing of all. The kingdom the kingdom of heaven that comes crashing into earth. The kingdom of God that is overtaking the universe. And as the words of this tune draw to a close, the chorus lingers on. The Lord reigns forever and ever. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Like a song that gets stuck in your head. The words and the music will not go away. And this is intentional. Exodus 15, what we have here, what we've just heard, is the first full song recorded on the pages of Scripture. And it will become Israel's theme song for many generations as its words and music will become embedded in Israel's consciousness and practice. Every year, this song is still sung. This song is sung on the day that this track was recorded. The last day of Passover, when this event occurred, the Sabbath on which this text is read is called the Sabbath Shirah, the Sabbath song. This song is sung every day, every year, but it's going to continue to be sung throughout the history of Israel. Joshua will sing it. David will hum a few bars of this song in the Psalms too. The prophet Isaiah won't be able to get this music out of his head as he sees visions from God that he gives to the people. And for Nehemiah, this song will become a lost classic that will ignite the rebuilding of a nation. This entire song is so popular that it's still recited every day by Jews in their morning prayers. This song sticks because this song is Israel's story. In this song are the foundations of her past, the remembrances of who and what has shaped her into the people that they now are. In this song is a perspective for the present, assurances and reminders of whom she belongs to, of what she is called to as a nation. In this song is a boundary marker, a line of demarcation between where the people have, of God have been and yet where God still intends to take his people. The song remains the same. The song remains the same because the remembrances of the past and the actions of the present are the basis, not only for Israel's hope, but for the hope of our future, too. There's another great song that we often sing in the church that, that just parallels so nicely with this one. You know it. This is our story. This is our song. This is our story. This is our song. For an Israelite standing on the other side of the sea... I imagine that there came some point of realization that only moments ago, I was as good as dead. And then for that Israelite, you look back over the deep and raging waters that once weren't there that you walked through and suddenly it hits you. I was brought through the waters of judgment. I should have died and yet I live. Beloved, this great historical event, this profound realization and confession are not simply 
the realization, the acknowledgement, the confession of Israelites, this realization and confession are part of what we as followers of Christ look back to when we celebrate the sacrament of baptism. Death and life together in water. Not just a rite of passage. We don't just get baptized because of family tradition or social custom. We don't just have our children baptized to make our mothers happy. We are baptized because it is a sign and seal of our faith that we recognize that we are marked by waters, that these waters are a sign and seal of a person submitting their life to Jesus Christ. Baptism is a declaration that without God's intervention, the ancient Israelites would have been dead, and it is an acknowledgement that without God's intervention, I also would have been headed for certain death. But baptism is also an acknowledgement that God did intervene, that God intervened for Israel, that God intervenes for you and for me. He brought them, he brought us out through the other side from death to life. Paul reminds us of this when he writes much, much later on. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Buried with Christ down in the water. Raised with Christ up from the water. Buried with Christ down to certain death. Raised with Christ up to new and eternal life. Beloved, that is the rhythm of the song of salvation. That's the tempo of the journey of faith from death to life, going down in order to come back up. Jesus went down into the darkness, facing the cross, dying for all of our brokenness because of all of our chaos. He died. He went down into a tomb which no one expected him to emerge from. Just like Israel went down and no one expected her to emerge from being trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. This is our story. This is our song that going down seems like a dead end. But a path is carved through death to life on the other side. The God who pried apart the waters of the Red Sea creates a path of life for Israel to escape through the safely, through the other side where the Egyptian army could never touch them again. And this God is the same Jesus who pried the bars of death's prison apart so that we might escape through the other side to life, eternal life where death can never touch us again. This is our story. This is our song. The song of Moses is still being sung at the end of our story. If you're not familiar with this, it's specifically referenced in Revelation chapter 15. There, John records that the glorified saints in heaven are singing a tune that he calls the song of Moses and of the Lamb. Beloved, John's vision affirms what began at the waters of the Red Sea, that it came to completion on the hillside called Calvary. The staff of Moses that was lifted up over the chaos of Egypt became the cross of Christ that was raised above the sins of the world. The Lord's covenant faithfulness, this God's intentionality in making promises and keeping them, in fulfilling promises in ways that are unexpected and surprising, that is what keeps us singing. And we are to keep singing this song together until the Lord plants us in the mountain of his inheritance, in his sanctuary in heaven. The song remains the same because this is the song that we will one day sing when we are gathered around the table 
the table of the Lamb of God. The song remains the same. We sing it already. We sing it now because we believe in faith that that will be our destination. We believe and confess that all who surrender their lives to Jesus will be carried by the hand of God along the same path down into death and up to eternal life. We believe that death will not have the last word in the life of a believer in Jesus. No more than Egypt had the last word in Israel's life. That is the song of salvation. And it begins in water. It begins with baptism. I want to ask you this morning, I don't take it for granted each and every Sunday, so I ask you, have you gone through the waters? Or are you still waiting for the waves to part in your life? You keep trying to live your life on your own terms, but there's this great divide like a huge body of water that you can't get around. How often in the rush, in the hustle and bustle to hold everything together, to make it look all neat and tidy, are you deep down feeling the pressure of an army of expectations? Feeling like your back is against the wall. Feeling like you're trapped and there's no way out. If that describes you this morning, listen to the music. Pay attention to the words of this song. God is calling you. God is calling you to wade into the water. Stop trying to save yourself. See that the victory is yours in Jesus Christ. Be free of the bondage of trying to be perfect, of having it all together. Come as you are. Take the hand of Jesus and go through the waters. Die to your old self. That person who keeps a smile on their face but really is living in fear is dying on the inside. Emerge to your new life as a child of God, free of fear, full of confidence, bathed in love and grace. Join the chorus and sing the song that remains the same, the song of the God who delivers, the song of the God who is faithful, the song of the God who redeems, the song of the God who brings us back from the dead. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you've been baptized. You've gone through the waters. But let's face it, you've forgotten this song. Maybe you were baptized as a child and you never really made a public commitment. You never really claimed this journey of faith as your own. Maybe you're a good Lutheran and you went through confirmation. Yeah, you went through it. That's about all it was. You went through it. Maybe you even find yourself saying this morning as you sit here, you know, I feel like I'm still living more in Egypt than I am on the other side of the waters. You sit here this morning and you've lost your voice. You come to church each week. You go through the motions. You know the liturgy. You know what's expected. You know the things to say so that people won't push too much. But the truth is, most times you really don't feel like singing. In fact, you really don't even know how to sing anymore. If that's where you are this morning, I want you to hear me. It's okay. I want you to hear me this morning, if that's where you are, that you're not alone. You're not the first to feel like you've gone backwards after having gone forwards. 
You're not alone. The Israelites' cry of despair and suffering in chapter 14 has become a boisterous chorus of celebration here in chapter 15. But you notice where we stopped. If we kept reading just in chapter 15, within this very chapter, it won't last long. It'll just take a few steps into the wilderness for a shout of salvation to turn into a grumble. It won't take long for the waters of salvation to be eclipsed by the waters of bitterness. So if you're here this morning and you're feeling bitter, if you're here this morning and you're feeling numb, listen to the music. Pay attention to the words. Let them get inside you. Remember whose you are. Remember where you've been. Recognize and understand that living out of the hope of God's covenant faithfulness, singing this song as a learned practice and habit is not instinctive. It's not natural to our humanity. Our default mode as human beings is not praise the Lord. Our default mode as human beings is what have you done for me lately? And why should I care? Beloved, if you think about it, we don't have to be taught to complain or grumble. You ever notice that? You never have to teach a young child how to say no. <laughs> Children seem to figure that out all on their own. You don't have to be taught how to complain or grumble, but you do, we do have to be taught how to praise, how to say thank you. Think about our typical understanding of gratitude and thanks, just to, to push the point. When we, we typically think about gratitude or thanks, the speaker is the subject of the sentence. Saying thanks means I thank you. And saying thanks um, often becomes a rote response for us. In our, in our interactions, how often does thanks just become a kind of a throwaway word? It's almost a rote response. It's kind of a, we understand it as a fixed duty. It's what you say. It's a courtesy. You know, you, as parents, you even get to that point where, well, why do I have to say thank you? Because it's polite. Say thank you. So it's courtesy. And, and for many of us, as we, we learn and internalize thanks as we understand it, we tend to offer our thanks privately. You know, person to person. Sometimes even indirectly, we'll send a card, maybe text someone, thank you. And, and we also, kind of to close this out, this under, our understanding of Thanksgiving, for most of us, once we give our thanks to another person, we believe that we've established closure or balance in the relational exchange. We're good now. I said thank you. We're done. It's good. Notice the biblical view of gratitude that's expressed in this song. The object of praise is the subject of the verb. You stretched out your hand. The Lord is the subject. The focus is the Lord, not me. The expression of thanks is spontaneous. It's enthusiastic. It's lavish. The expression of thanksgiving is not private. It's not indirect. It's public and communal. And giving thanks, as it's expressed here in this song, is not a means to an end. It doesn't close the relational loop. Giving thanks expands the relationship. We're encouraged to edify others with our gratitude, to keep giving thanks, to count our blessings. Beloved, like all good songs, the great ones, this song provokes us. It shakes us up and it asks us, what do we believe? Do we believe in a have-to God? Do we exist as a have-to people? Do we believe in a God who demands our worship and our praise? A God who commands it out of egotism, out of need or insecurity? 
Do we believe in a have-to God? Are we a people who are a have-to people? Do we believe that we have to follow this God revealed in Jesus Christ out of obligation, out of fear, out of nostalgia, out of routine? I want to say to you this morning, while it's true that this song reflects a public expression of commitment, that this song embodies submission to the covenant and the God who offers the covenant, This song offers us much more. If that's all we're hearing, we're missing the beauty of this song. The author, theologian C.S. Lewis once wrote, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Beloved, we don't worship a have-to God. We worship a want-to God. This God wants our worship and our praise. This God desires to be with us So much that he condescends to our level. So much that he incarnates into our flesh. So much that he engages our life. So much that he's even willing to die for the sake of being with us. And in doing all of this, this God does not call us out to be a have-to people. We do have-to well enough on our own. We do have-to well enough on our own. We are the greatest makers of the prisons that contain us. This God doesn't want us to be a have-to people. This God seeks to transform us into a want-to people. A people who worship and praise. A people who live and learn together with hunger, with a desire, with a passion, an expectation to be filled with joy and to shower our thanksgiving upon others. It's a reciprocal effect, really, that this God wants us to understand. It's the best kind of vicious cycle. This God wants us to praise him because in praising this God, it leads to our enjoyment of this God. And our enjoyment of this God leads back to our praising of this God. And on and on it grows and it builds. We say the words hallelujah. And that word in Hebrew means praise the Lord. Halle, praise Yahweh. Beloved, as God's people, we too are redeemed people, rejoicing in their redemption. It's a song of celebration that we hear here in Exodus 15, but it's a song not just for our church gatherings or our church buildings. It's intended to be, as the song proclaims, a song for the nations, a witness to the nations. We are encouraged to sing this song so that we can say to the people around us, come and hear what God has done. But beloved, we don't just sing this song. Notice that Moses, Miriam, and the Israelites are not standing still. They're singing this song on the move. We don't just sing this song. We live it. We impart the message, the promise, the hope, the grace, the love, the justice of this song to those around us. Why? So that they might recognize the melody. So that they might learn the words so that they might discover the conductor of this symphony of salvation. Beloved, the song remains the same because of what God has done, but also because of what God continues to do. The day of our salvation, this day recorded in Exodus 15, is not just a moment in time. It is not just a special occasion that we remember now and then. Salvation is the ongoing work of God. It is the defining reality of this God until the end of time as we know it. And so, beloved, the invitation to worship is the invitation to life. 
Once again, we hear from the wisdom of our Jewish brothers and sisters from a Jewish perspective, and it's, part of it is formed by this song. From a Jewish perspective, it is this simple. To praise God is to live. Not to praise God is to be dead. And that is the crux of the conflict. That's what this all about, is all about, isn't it? Remember how this all started. What was God's request that Pharaoh refused? What did God want that Pharaoh said, ain't no way. Let my people go so that they may worship me. And Pharaoh said, over my dead body. Truer words were never spoken. It's not just the crux of our past. It's the crux of our present. It was the breaking point as we enter into Lent of Jesus' own ministry. The inability, the unwillingness of the people to praise. One of the hallmarks of our Holy Week will be Palm Sunday. Do you remember Palm Sunday as Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem and the people begin to cry out and praise his name and others rebuke and say, stop doing that. Do not praise. Do not sing. And what does Jesus say? They cannot help it. If they do not sing... Even the stones will cry out. The song remains the same. This is our song and it will not be muted. And so the question for all of us this morning is are we among the living or are we among the dead? And it's a sobering picture for us here in Exodus 15. Are we among the Israelites or are we among the Egyptians? Beloved, God's redemption calls for the singing of the song that remains the same. So let us sing together this morning. Let us sing together a song of certainty based on God's great and sure promises. Let us sing together a song of confidence that we might live together out of the victory that began with Moses that was made complete in Jesus Christ. And let us sing together this song of celebration, sharing our experience of God's love, grace, and mercy God's forgiveness with all the world. Amen? Amen. Amen.